It was quite the wake-up call uh, nearly a quarter century ago, and I remembered it well because I covered it. Uh, some tankers sent into Lake Superior. It was almost like a compliment. They wanted to scoop up a bunch of Lake Superior water and then sell it to Asian countries as kind of a delicacy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, bottled water from beautiful Lake Superior. Well, the problem is it kind of opened the Pandora's box of what happens if someone just decided to wholesale start diverting Great Lakes water. Well, it ended up we made a compact with not just our neighboring states, but with the nation of Canada to try to protect that. But is the threat of diversion greater than ever? Uh, John Allen is a senior academic and research program officer in the School for Environment and Sustainability at the University of Michigan and uh, was quoted in a Detroit News story about this. We wanted to learn more, and we welcome John to JR Morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you. So just kind of uh, suss that out for us. We we know that uh, now it's just not Asia. I mean, there are a lot of folks in Arizona, Texas, uh, Southern California that are parched and, and casting their eyes towards the you know largest body of uh, fresh water uh, in the world. How great is the threat of diversion? Uh, I, I think there's two things to think about. One, one is currently we know, I know of no, proposals to move water from the Great Lakes to the southwest or further west, as we have seen in the past. So currently, there's there's nothing that we've seen that rear its head in that way. However, we, we have to continue to remain vigilant, recognizing that climate change, changing precipitation, changing water use continues to put pressure on water systems, both in the Great Lakes and outside the Great Lakes. So, so the threats remain uh, when and if they raise to the level of, of interest in the Great Lakes. Uh, it's just something that we have to continue to be vigilant about. John, what will it take? I mean, how much more will it take before those uh, communities that are running dry in the desert start looking at the Great Lakes and say, hey, we, we, we need some help over here? I, I think there's growing understanding that you have to manage the water that you have just moving water around in wholesale, coming one place, getting it from another place and moving it in large measure is is not a reasonable or is not the first solution you want to look at. Colorado River, Southwest, Ogallala Aquifer in the Midwest, but they're in the, in the middle states that are used heavily for irrigation, really need to continue the hard work of finding solutions and conservation and building a plan for the water that they have. John, talk to us about why it's a problem. If we have a, an abundance of water and there are people who need it, why is it a problem to move it? Well, that, that's always a good question. Um, the compact is rooted in a, a principle of conservation. It's rooted in the principle that that the Great Lakes are better when the Great Lakes have the Great Lakes water in them. It's a sort of simple notion that water in its place has value. That, that wholesale movements of water, large diversions of water out of the Great Lakes can and could lead to ecological harm. So the compact, while it prevents diversions, is, is rooted in the idea that we are here to protect the integrity, the ecological integrity of the Great Lakes. So it's really a conservation basis for why we protect the Great Lakes and why we love the Great Lakes so much as, as a pretty universal belief in, in and through the Great Lakes. We've seen uh, a migration of sorts to the southwest. Those states that are kind of naturally dry are gaining political clout. When this compact was made, 
uh, there was broad support for it. How worried are you that the compact could be broken once those in Congress who represent dry states outnumber those who represent wet states? Well, I think that's that's sort of the point that we have to continue to be understanding and vigilant and and be conservative in our own use of water. It's very hard to say no to others if we're being if we're not being conservative or we're not thinking about it properly within our own system. But how hard would that compact be to break? Um, I I think it's very hard. I think you have an agreement between eight states and signed by eight governors, legislators, signed by Congress. It's it's legally very hard to undo. Nothing legal is permanently undoable. And that's why we have to remain vigilant that that the pressures elsewhere cannot mount to the point where the compact is put in jeopardy. But but that takes work on our part to make sure that we're attending to the values and the principles and the agreements that the compact laid out. John, was was there ever any diversions of water into or out of the Great Lakes before that compact was signed? Yes, uh, the big one, and it's rooted and, and uh, uh, enshrined in the United States Supreme Court, and that's the diversion of water out for the Chicago River. The Chicago River essentially was reversed its flow, and now a substantial amount of water can leave the Great Lakes and go down the Chicago River, down the down the Mississippi. And there is actually a larger amount of water coming into the Great Lakes up in Lake Superior. It's called Long Lake and Ogoki. And there's so if you do the math on it, it's about five thirds, which is more than more than one. There's more water coming into the Great Lakes on diversion than going out currently. If that exit to the Chicago River takes the Asian carp with it, is that such a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> well. Unfortunately, Asian carp can swim upstream. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you know, another one of those ongoing threats. Luckily, Asian carp aren't in the Great Lakes, but it's something that we have to be vigilant about, and we have to build systems to protect ourselves from. And John, to be clear, there's no official request to divert water here from the Great Lakes. This is just a discussion because the compact is 15 years old now. Yeah, at 15 years old, I think it's you know we want to celebrate something that a lot of people didn't think could happen then and and even more people think couldn't happen again given yeah. given political environments however when we when we do deal with great lakes issues across the great lakes we find them to be remarkably durable and remarkably multipartisan not just bipartisan or nonpartisan but but the, the great lakes are pretty sacrosanct for people that live throughout our states and the region um, but at 15 years old it is important to take stock Things change. The lakes change. Mm-hmm. The pressures change. The politics change. And if we're not vigilant and just think everything's going to be the same, then, then we may miss something. Well, I never underestimate the will of politicians to cater to a special interest group that, that is uh, very passionate. Um, you, you know, Daniel Yergin was considered to be probably one of the brightest voices on the energy economy globally. Mm-hmm. He said, I think it may have been 10, 15 years ago now, that he felt that the next civil war wasn't going to be over oil uh, or the next global war wasn't going to be over oil. It was going to be over water. Is that a very real thing? I've heard that a long time. My early professors, when I was coming up, said similar things. And when you look globally at, at loss of water systems, whether it's in the central regions of India, whether it's in other parts of the world, and certainly within our own country, that, that I do think we have to look at sort of the underlying geopolitics of water and make sure that we're attending to them. Uh, U- University of Michigan was just awarded a large National Science Foundation grant to look at 
how do you manage water that's shared? This notion of transboundary, right? Water moving across boundaries. Mm-hmm. Most of our great water systems are not managed by one country or another. They're managed in a shared way. The Danube has six or seven countries and many systems around the world. I could go through them. So part of it is the art of understanding global politics and part of it's understanding the nature of how do you decide about a water body that doesn't know how to follow a boundary, right? And, and that's one of the legacies of the Great Lakes is we build a lot of institutional capacity around managing water that's shared by two countries, multiple tribal sovereigns, thousands of local jurisdictions. It, it's complicated, but it's doable, and that's the way you have to manage water. Fascinating discussion, John Allen. We thank you so much for your expertise. And you're right, it's it's all about better management, using it agriculturally to the best advantage. And uh, that includes our friends in the Southwest and in California as well. Um, thank you for your time. Oh, happy to chat, chat with you. Right. Thanks. For- yeah, really interesting discussion. And wow. uh, th- that compact was kind of a miracle. To get eight mm-hmm. states to come together and agree on something along with Canada was no easy task. And he's right, that's something... Uh, that 15 years ago should be celebrated today. When we come back, a a major change, maybe, from Pope Francis yesterday regarding the church and same-sex couples and the blessings that they can receive from the church. Um, We'll have that for you at 849, just ahead on JR Morning.